Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, and uh, let's stand together out of respect for the Lord and His Word. Uh, sure enjoyed hearing uh, Sharon Lloyd sing. She's uh, her love for the Lord and for the students. Uh, it's contagious, and it's sincere from the top of her head to the bottom of her foot, and I like that. And so real blessed to hear her sing today, and a great, great song. Great message in song, great message in saint, the person. So amen. And happy birthday, Pastor, two days ago. <laughs> two days ago. I did call you. I called him on his birthday. Did you know that? What other evangelist do you know called you on your birthday? But I didn't know it was your birthday. I called because I want to know who's picking me up at the airport. It was all about me. It wasn't about him. So, <laughs> But a happy birthday today. I will buy you water. For lunch. I'll buy you the water for lunch. Okay. All right. My wife, Lord willing, is going to be here tonight. Uh, and so we'll pray about that. She actually flew in, uh, see the grandkids, uh, but she doesn't have enough energy to get out to all the meetings. But uh, she's going to try to come tonight. So uh, if she comes, uh, everybody say hi to her and uh, uh, understand she can't talk too long. She gets too worn out, but uh, very excited about her possibly coming. This is my first time her traveling with me in a, in a year, a little over a year. And so I'm very glad she's out here with me today. All right, 2 Peter chapter 3, let's begin reading at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your blessing and your guidance, and we pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts in these three services that I have with our brothers and sisters that we have together. We do ask you to work in the school, and we ask that to be a great revival there, exactly what they need. And Lord, just help us as we continue to serve you in our day, in our generation, and bless this message to that end. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. I remember watching a television program where Hollywood zoomed the church sign as a camera in on a church sign that read, said, read Jesus is coming soon. And the sign was very old and dilapidated. And then there were men and women in the churchyard that were drinking beer. And after a short time, it zoomed the camera on them for a little bit and then back on the church sign that said, Jesus is coming soon. And just then the wind blew and one of the letters fell off of that old dilapidated sign and dropped to the ground. Well, obviously, Hollywood was making fun of the second coming, and they said, in essence, some preacher put that sign up there so long ago, Jesus is coming soon, that it's falling apart. What a joke. Jesus is coming soon. Well, the Bible said that in the last days, there were going to be scoffers 
people that would mock the second coming. Now, this is not only true in one sense, and that people mock it, but there's another sense that we can be scoffers. A scoffer is somebody who just ignores it and goes on without being affected by something. If somebody gives a warning and they just go on and they don't heed it and they never changes what they do, they just, in essence, are scoffing the one who gave the warning. Now, when we look at the world, they are scoffing the idea of Jesus coming to earth again, and they'll say all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Well, if we're not careful as Christians, we will scoff the second coming and that we will not be affected by it. And we do attest to the doctrine that we believe that Jesus is coming again. And once in a while, we see something on the news and we think, oh, yeah, he's really going to come soon. And then we go right back to being totally unaffected by the doctrine, scoffing it in essence, ignoring it and not being affected by it. And we do not want to be people that ignore this powerful doctrine. We should be motivated by this and we should be exhorted to being at the work of God, not sitting back, but getting more more involved and more, um, as, as we look at it, the Bible says, it says, as we do the work of God, we should be not slothful in business. We should be fervent in our spirit and we should have more fervency realizing the time is near. So I'm going to remind us, Jesus is coming again. And I'm going to remind us that the evidence seems to be very soon and that this thing should be affecting us all the time to urgency and fervency. Now, the first thing that I want to draw attention to is the statement that Jesus made. I will come again. Now, just for the record, this is not something that we've made up. It is a promise. John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Acts 1.11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from me into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Hebrews 9.28, along with many others. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. He died for us. But unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time. He will do it without sin and unto salvation. Revelation 1, 7, Revelation 22, 7, Behold, I come quickly, Revelation 22, 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. And Revelation 22, 20, He which testifieth of these things saith, Surely I come quickly. And some of the last words of our entire Bible are even so come Lord Jesus. Now, I know that this is a doctrine that we say that we believe, but I also know that we can be scoffing it. In other words, not mocking it, but being unaffected by it and believing that this could happen and most likely will happen soon should, again, get us out of just apathy that gets more thrust into dedication and the service of God as our time would be running out if it is very near. And I believe it is running out because I believe it is very near. Now, first about his statement, I will come again. 
It is a promise. Now, number two, I want to remind us of this program. There are two phases. First is going to be the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, the Lord himself shall, not might, not maybe, but as sure as any other doctrine in the Bible, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall, not might, not maybe, be caught together in the air to meet him in the clouds, and so shall, not might, not maybe, we ever be with the Lord. Now, this doctrine, it's there. That's the next thing that will happen, and it can happen at any moment. After the rapture of the church, there's that seven-year tribulation period, a hell on earth, and then there is the revelation, and that's where Jesus comes all the way down to the earth, Zechariah 14, and he goes to the eastern gate into Jerusalem, and he sets up the thousand-year millennial reign. And then a few other events take place, and then we go into eternity. Now, these are doctrines, but the pressing doctrine is the rapture. And because of the doctrine of the rapture, we know that the church has a job to do. We're to occupy till he comes. And we know because of the rapture, the church has a limited amount of time to do it. We don't know when it's going to happen. It could be today, tomorrow, a hundred years from now. But when we know that this doctrine is here, we better make sure that we are affected by it, not just mentally assenting to it. Are we affected by the doctrine of the Lord's return? We should be, especially us, because we look around and we see so much evidence that it is coming very near. Now, the second thing that I want to talk to us about is the support for this doctrine. Now, why do we believe that Jesus is coming again? And then what support might there be that it might be soon? So we should be activated, act motivated to get busier. All right, now here's the valid argument. There will be signs. All right, turn to your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. And in Luke 21... Talking about the Lord's return, it says there will be some signs. Now, verse 11. And great earthquakes shall be in divers places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. There will be signs. Now, verse 25. And there shall be signs. There will be signs. In the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then, after these signs, shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Does that sound like a kingdom? Now then, verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, they don't even all have to be complete, then look up, lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh or draweth near. Now, many of, there are no signs that are to precede the first part of his return, which would be the rapture, but there are many signs that are to precede the second part of his return, the revelation, and here's what is exciting. Many of the signs that are supposed to precede the second part of his return are already coming to formation. And if they are 
coming together, then we know that the rapture being first has to be that much nearer. Now, let's say that I was looking around a corner and I saw a shadow of a man coming around the corner. I saw a head, a shadow of a body, and then I saw a shadow of his arms and then his legs. And then all of a sudden, I see that whole body, that shadow come around. Then what's going to come after that shadow? A body. Now, we're seeing the shadows of the Antichrist, the shadows of the one world government, and all of the shadows of the events of the tribulation are coming around the corner, and that means that we need to understand this means something. This means that Jesus Christ is coming around the corner. And so we need to be affected by this, and let's look at some of these valid signs. Now, what is going to happen one of the things that will happen is found in Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, it says that there is going to be a one world government that will be formed. Now, we've heard people talk about this, but this is what the Bible said would happen 2,000 years ago, and now it's coming together. And God said, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your head, your redemption draweth nigh. This is a shadow peeping around the corner and with the shadow of a one world government lingering around the corner moving forward rather quickly as a matter of fact we can be confident then that rather quickly we have the antichrist in the tribulation period all right now notice what it says in revelation 13 and verse 7 it was given unto him to make war with the saints the antichrist to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, when some man has power over all nations, that is a one world government. That is a one world power. And this was what Bible prophecy had 2,000 years ago put in Scripture. Now, there's been a lot developing toward a one world government. And when we look at this, we have to say, wow, never happened before. Now, happening. We have to say why. It is an indication that the Lord's return is truly near. I remember in 1998, I remember sitting across the table from one of my friends who's a preacher, and he said, hey, did you hear what happened? I said, what? He said 160 nations sent representatives to a certain location to discuss forming a one-world government. I said, I'm not going to believe that until I look at it for myself. You're just looking for preaching material, and I'm not going to preach something that isn't really true. So I said, I'll check it out. And I checked it out, and sure enough, it did happen. They sent 160 representatives from 160 nations to one location to discuss forming a one-world government. And they said that we need to have one so that we can stop war crimes, genocide, stop the world problems, stop hunger, and we can hold uh, leaders that are evil accountable. Well, I watched as they decided we need to have this one-world government. 
and they sent up a committee to discuss forming a constitution for the world, and they completed it, and they com voted on it on April 11th, 2002. And they said when the 65th nation ratifies it, we'll consider it world law, and it is now considered world law. They ratified it in 2002. Now, how many of you have ever seen people on the news talk about governments not being in line with international law? That is what they're referring to. Now, as of last month, there were 150, 156 nations that have either ratified it or signified it, and we're moving very rapidly toward this one world government. Now, here's the amazing thing. Do you know where the Bible says the one world government is supposed to come from? Revelation 17 and verse 9, the city of seven mountains. That is the city of Rome. Now, do you know where they discussed forming the one world government? They met together in 1998. Of all places in the world, this is not making it up, they met in the city of Rome. Now, do you know what they are calling the constitution for the world? They are calling it the statutes of Rome. And you can look it up on the internet. In 2021, in 2020, a lot of progress has been made. How many have ever heard of the Davos movement? Anybody heard of Davos? Anybody heard of the Great Reset? Anybody heard of the Great Reset? Well, the Davos movement, they met in the city of Davos to discuss a great reset for the world. And that great reset was headed by the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab, and they have a desire for a green transformation, and that's why we're trying to get into electric cars, the grand redesign of our economics for sustainability. That's why the vice president of our country is saying that we need equity. Translation, everybody has the equal spending rights. We take money from the rich, give to the poor. That's socialism, Marxism, and it is what the Bible teaches will be taking place in the tribulation. And then there is the digital transformation 5G, and there is a shift that the power will go to every individual, thus empowering transgenders, empowering homosexuals, and taking away the power in their mind from every other citizen that they think may have power and others don't. And so what I'm saying is these things are happening, and here's what Charles Claus Schwab said, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Now their plan is that 2031, they will be able to now at that time begin this one world government worldwide. And this is what they are pursuing. Now, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not saying that the rapture is going to come before 2031. But God did say, when these things begin to come to pass, lift up your head, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. Now, are we going to be people that will scoff the things that God put in the scriptures, not mocking it, but ignoring it? And we certainly do not want to do that and ignore it because the day will come when we can't make a difference anymore. And so we've got to be focused on it and we've got to be dedicated to it and we've got to be earnest about the work of God again. Now notice back here at Revelation 13, it also teaches that there will be a one world religious system. 
Revelation 13 and verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. How many people worship the Antichrist? All. There's your one world religion. Now turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17, and I want you to see with your own eyes, just so you can see. Not that we're going to get everything about the Lord's return in one message. Not that we're going to understand everything. But if we can be reminded today that the Lord is coming again. This is not just a doctrine we preach. This is a doctrine we live. This is not just something we agree with. This is something we get busy about. Because the night cometh when no man can work. Now, here we are in Revelation 17 and verse 9. Here is the mind which hath wisdom or discernment, and we're supposed to discern the times. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And this is talking about that one world religious system, the woman. And so the one world religious system is going to sit on the city of seven mountains, and that would be the city of Rome. So Rome is going to be the one world government. Rome is going to be where the one world religion comes from. And preachers have been preaching that. And guess what? They've been right. They've been right. And here we find that there's been a lot in that city taking us toward a one world religion. Now, when Pope John Paul II was still alive, he had a meeting in San Francisco, which also has seven hills. I've got the picture of it where they met together to discuss forming a one-world religion, even back when Pope John Paul II was here, and he had a hundred-plus leaders from different religions all sitting down looking up at Pope John Paul II, signifying we look to him as the one-world religious leader. In the Rome city, you have the Roman Catholic Church, which means universal, and they've been making efforts to try to bring the Islam religion back under the umbrella of Rome. And they're working together. And you see these signs that say coexist. Coexist is every different symbol. C-O-E-X-I-S-T. All of those letters are symbols from different religions. Saying, let's bring all these religions together for the good of man. And then, frankly, in the end, they're going to try to destroy all those religions completely. And what is happening ought to be a sign to us that we are very near the Lord's return. Now, then the Bible says that there will be a one-world currency. Now, notice what it says back in Revelation 13. Now, many have heard of the mark of the beast, Revelation 13, verse 16, and he causeth all. A-L-L, what's that spell? All. Both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom that him that hath understanding. We're supposed to have wisdom. We're supposed to have understanding. We're supposed to discern. Let him that hath wisdom, understanding, count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6, or 666. And I'm just here to tell us today that we don't cover everything. We have to understand that we are in the day. If we do not understand that we are in this day, that the Lord's return is near, we will never be moved 
to do anything different than what we've been doing. Or we will not perhaps be moved like we could be moved or should be moved to work in these last days. Now, there's been a lot going on to bring us toward a one-world currency as well. I remember being in Williamsburg, Virginia, and there was a newspaper article that was talking about the um, new technology coming out back then, now old, called smart card technology. And so they invited everybody to go to it if they were interested in investing. I went because they had a free buffet. <laughs> and I thought, food, free, I'm in. So we went, and at that buffet, while we were all gathering our food, there was a guy in a nice suit. He said, I'm president of the blah, 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 blah corporation. And then somebody else, well, I'm CEO of blah, blah, blah corporation. Somebody else, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a, the professor at blah, blah, blah college or university, and they looked at me and said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a preacher. And one of them looked at me and said, you're here to hear about the mark of the beast, aren't you? I said, well, I actually find it interesting. He said, so do I. That's why I'm here. So the vice president of the company got up and he held up a card and he said, this, ladies and gentlemen, looks like a credit card, but it's not. It's actually a smart card. And if you notice in the bottom corner, there's a little chip and now we all have one. The little chip is something that is going to completely replace paper money and coins. And now we are buying and selling with the chip more than we are with the money and the coins. Not that it in itself is a bad thing, but I'm telling you we're moving toward a cashless society. Now then recently we have seen things happen. No man can buy or sell unless he has a mask. No man can buy or sell in Walmart unless he has a mask. No man can buy or sell in my restaurant unless they have a mask. No man can have a job for the government so he can make money and buy or sell unless he has a vaccine. No man can travel out of this country unless he has a vaccine. And no man can have a job at my corporation and make money to buy or sell unless he or she has a vaccine. And though things have lightened up a little bit, you can see how rapidly we're moving toward requirements for buying and selling. Now, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Now, there's other technology that has come on. And the technology is amazing. I remember going into Walmart. And as I was in Walmart, I was standing in line. The sign says, no cash, card only. And over here it said, cash or card. So I look at it, and the lady working there, I said, why is it that you can use cash here, but you can't use cash over here three feet away? She said, it's to do with COVID. We're trying to stop the spread of COVID. And so I said to her, ma'am, why is it that you don't care if they die, but you don't want us to die? I said, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And why is it that Walmart would invest billions of dollars into a machine that can only take cards if it is only a temporary problem? And the reason is they are moving very rapidly toward a cashless society. Now, friends, we don't have time to go into everything, but I am saying the Lord's return is very near. And knowing that the Lord's return is very near, we've got the signs. There are other signs that are out there. 
then let's look at the significance of this thing. Let's take our Bibles, and I want us to turn back to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, knowing that the Lord's return is very near, I want us to look at 2 Peter chapter uh, 3 and verse 9. Now we're going to back up to verse 4, and we'll get our way to verse 9, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. That's the day of Noah. And in the day of Noah, the world perished. God sent a rainbow to say, I'm never going to destroy the world with the flood again. There are ungodly people that have taken the rainbow and they have used it now to promote what God calls sin. This year, I posted on my Facebook the rainbow during that month, the Gay Pride Month, and I posted it as God's Promises Month. And I used the rainbow to tell people that God is never going to destroy the earth again with a flood and that God gives promises in Scripture that anybody can repent of their sin and come to God and be saved. A homosexual, a Baptist. A lesbian, a Methodist. An abortion doctor and an anti-abortion activist. Each person needs to come to God for salvation. Good people, bad people, all sinful people. And the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And I remind us that God holds men accountable for their sin. In the day of Noah, God held men accountable for the sin by sending a flood. In our day, God's going to hold men accountable for sin by sending the tribulation, judgment, wrath of God. And the only hope that anybody has is repentance. Now let's go ahead and look at what God says in verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somebody says Jesus took so long to say that he was coming again. That was 2,000 years ago, and he's not here. So people mock it. All things continue as they were, so people mock it. But this says the reason Jesus hasn't come yet is because he's trying to give people more time to repent so they don't go through the judgments and they don't get sent to hell. So the challenge is... If you do not know that you're going to heaven, open your eyes, get your head out of the sand, you're not an ostrich, look around. And the signs are here. And the Lord's return is near. And you've got one opportunity, get saved. If you don't, you will be left behind, you will go through the tribulation, and it doesn't matter if you mock me, you will be left behind. And you will never have a chance to be born again. If it was just an unfounded truth without signs, I can understand you mocking it. But since there are signs, 
Even you know the signs. You know we're moving toward this. Then isn't it time for you to receive it instead of mock it? Now, if you do not know you're going to heaven, the answer is Jesus died to the cross to save you from your sins. If you will accept Jesus, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from your sin. Homosexual, Baptist. Methodist, Mormon. If you're an abortionist or an anti-abortionist activist, there is none that doeth good and the only hope for any and for all is to repent and believe the gospel. But I'm preaching this in closing, one minute, not to people that are in this congregation that are not born again, but mostly people that are born again. And so I also want to remind us, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be what? Be diligent. Let's all say that. Be what? Diligent. Let's say it again. Be what? Diligent. Okay, let's say it over here. Be what? Not lazy, not slacking, not sipping back and sipping Hawaiian punch, but diligent. There should be more service, not less. More burden, not less. Now, what does God say he wants from us? Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, living right, and blameless, good testimony, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, and that means we need to be sharing the faith. Now, how many of you know somebody not going to heaven and they're a burden to your heart? Would you lift up a hand? They're not going to heaven, they're a burden to your heart. Great. Let's get that burden fired up even more. Because the night comes when it's going to be too late. It's more than a doctrine that we just agree to. It's a doctrine that we live. Let's bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer.